Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Good morning, everybody. Um, Welcome. Hello uh, to everyone in the room, everyone at Battersea, everyone online. If I haven't met you before, I'm Viv and married to the uh, lovely Steve. And together we lead Vineyard 61 Church uh, in its multiple locations. Steve and Kelsey are over at Westside today, just meeting with some of the local congregation over there. And just please pray for us as we um, continue this journey of adopting them into our family. Um, often people start the new year, don't they, with, with dry January, but Steve and I had this idea to, to flip it, and we wanted to call it Wake Up January. And so there's been this sense in us, this past few months, that we need to wake up, we need to start being able to dream again, and we need to wake up to the things that we've fallen asleep to. And there's this personal call to wake up, but there's this prophetic call to the city as well. Um, Phil kicked us off with a great talk a couple of weeks ago about waking up, waking up to the Bible and just some simple ways to engage with God's Word. And then Steve and I talked last week about some of the prophetic senses of what we're sensing for this coming year. This week, you might need to fasten your seatbelt and hold on tight because I want to talk about waking up to purity. And it's so funny, when I've mentioned this to people, literally everyone has gone, ooh, Good luck with that one, Viv. Um, and so it's with some trepidation that I head in to today's talk. Um, Jesus, he addresses his disciples and the larger crowd fairly near the beginning of his ministry. And he says this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So what do you think of when you think of purity or being pure? Some of you might be thinking of something angelic or cherub-like or something that's unattainable this side of eternity. Others of you might be thinking about something that you've heard about in a youth group once. Um, Our culture despises the idea of purity. It's kind of thought of as a bit naive or a bit weak, um, like a bit holier than thou, and um, like a bit out of touch with reality which is a bit of a problem, isn't it? You know, it doesn't sound like life or freedom to me. You know, if if Jesus is blessed of the pure in heart, Jesus is meant to be good news, so where's the disconnect? What's the problem? So if you want to wake up to purity, what does that actually mean, Viv? I hear you ask. Very good question. Um, I I love the second part, for they shall see God. Like, who doesn't want to see God more clearly? I want to know him so much more than I do now. So how do I actually get to the place where I'm pure in heart? So what is purity of heart? Many philosophers and theologians throughout the ages have tried to define what purity of heart is. And I love this quote. It's by a Danish theologian called Søren Kierkegaard. And he says this, Purity of heart is to will one thing. It's to have no mixed motives, no dueling ambitions. It's to set your heart on one thing and one thing alone, and that's God and his goodness. Should we read that again? I just love it. It's so good, isn't it? Purity of heart is to will one thing. 
It's to have no mixed motives, no dueling ambitions. It's to set your heart on one thing and one thing alone, and that's God and his goodness. You're probably all breathing a bit of a sigh of relief right now because the reality is is that purity is not about sex. Phew. (laughs) We're not going to go there this morning. However, I want to propose that it's so much more than that. And I think that on our path to purity, so many of us have good intentions and we're setting off in the right direction, but then we stumble into something that takes us off course. Uh, About five years ago, we went on holiday down on the south coast and we all went on a lovely walk around the the coast and there was this part of the walk that cut across the mudflats and it was a bit of a shortcut from the longer way round. And despite my warnings that it looked too muddy, 13-year-old Sam thought he knew better and he cut across. And before long, he's just, he's stepped into the mud and he's beginning to sink. And his wellies are completely stuck. I then went to help him and I got stuck myself. Um, I think we've actually got a little short video clip. <laughs> I found it in my, in my album. <laughs> I mean, you could just watch that for days, couldn't you? Um... We eventually managed to get free, but I think we had to crawl our way out. And I think we actually left one of Sam's wellies just slowly sinking further and further down into the mud. And this is why purity apart is so hard, isn't it? Because our culture is a swamp. It might look beautiful, but when it rains a little too hard, it's just easy to get sucked in. And that's true with our lives as well. You know, it's like Julia said last week, What have we fallen asleep to? What's the air that we've been unintentionally breathing? It can be so easy to stop paying attention to exactly where we're putting our feet or maybe an area of our life that once was firm and solid and we let it go a little bit soft and all of a sudden we just find that we're stuck with no way out, no easy way out at least. So if purity of heart is to will one thing... I think there's a couple of traps that we can fall into. The first one is to will the right thing for the wrong reason. This is moralism, legalism. Moralism is a single posture that is most criticised by Jesus. Moralism is cleaning up our exterior lives while while our interior lives are kind of falling apart. At its best, it's behaviour modification and it's thinking about just the appearance of our spiritual lives, doing the right thing. On the outside, it might look like you're doing all all the right things, but on the inside, you're doing them for the wrong reason. Moralism at its worst is is hypocrisy. You know, it's abstaining from sex while watching porn. It's being kind to your co-worker on the surface, but then secretly being crushed when they get a promotion. It's, you know, it's reciting a generosity declaration every week and then acting like your time and your money is all your own. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God is not after behaviour modification. He's after your heart. And you might be here today, you may have been hurt by somebody in the church because of hypocrisy. Maybe their actions and their words didn't line up with what was actually going on in their heart. Maybe you've walked away from your faith because you just hate this kind of hypocrisy. Hear me when I say nobody hates hypocrisy more than Jesus. 
He came down so hard after people whose words honoured him, but hearts were far from him. Matthew 23, 27 and 28, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. It's quite harsh, isn't it? So that's the first trap with purity that we can fall into, is to do the right things for the wrong reasons. That's moralism. The second trap that we can fall into is to just deny that we want anything. That's repression. Some of us, I think, in a desire to be pure and holy, we just push down our desires. We kind of say that we don't even have them. But God created us to be human. And the reality, you know, he's created us with, with, with each one of us with desires. And these desires are really normal. Let's not pretend and repress them, but let's be open and invite God and, and others into the realities and into the struggles of life. We want to actually flourish. One of, one of our core values as a church is authenticity. It's, you know, it's so easy to fake it, isn't it? But we choose to be real with God and with each other. You only need to take a quick look at the Psalms to realise there's no repression there. So quick recap, just to check you're all still tracking. So purity is to set your heart on one thing and one thing alone, and that's God and his goodness. And what it isn't, it's not moralism and it's not repression. So you ask, Viv, how do I create a pure heart? Great question. Um, there's so much that can be said here, but the, the, there's at least three key elements that, we, that I want to propose we can, we can step into. The first one is encounter God. The second is flee from sin. And the third is confess in community. The first one is, it, honestly, it's our only hope for having pure hearts. When you spend time in God's presence, your desires are changed. Where you set your focus determines the shape of your life. You become what you behold. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And this is just such incredible news, isn't it? That we get transformed into God's likeness as we behold him, as we look at him. Uh, the best part is that this power doesn't come from us, it comes from God. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. We don't earn new hearts, we're given them. An encounter with God is our only hope of purifying our hearts. Steve said this last week, our posture is worship. Our posture, like, let's come to God. Let's seek God this year. And it's as we come into his presence, whether that's with singing, whether that's with meditation, whether that's with silence, we're changed from the inside out. We cannot be the same after meeting with God. It's like our moral taste buds have been changed. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And it's as we fall in love 
more with Jesus. We, want, we won't want to do anything that's contrary to what he asks. It's a bit like after you've brushed your teeth and you go and have a glass of orange juice. It just doesn't taste right, does it? The word says it's his kindness that leads to repentance. And just as we know how much we're loved, how can we not help but repent and reorder our lives? Ultimately, it's a trust issue. Do we actually believe that God wants the best for us? Do we actually believe that? He doesn't ask us to do anything or be anything or change anything to make our lives hard, but because he loves us and he wants the absolute best for us. One, one thing I'm, I'm just hearing more and more from people is like, Viv, you know, Christians can be so judgy. And, you know, I'm just really realising that God loves me and accepts me as I am. And so I'm just carrying on and doing what I want. And, you know, I just feel like God wants me to be me. Absolutely, God loves you. He unconditionally loves you. And his grace is absolutely never-ending. But that doesn't mean we stay where we are. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? The Bible is actually really clear. Time and time again, it says flee from sin. Don't entertain it. Don't flirt with the edges of it. Don't invite it home with you. Often the questions we ask in terms of sin is like, how far is too far? How close can we go to the edge? What does it look like to not go too close to the edge? But the Apostle Paul says he he just had no such questions. His only question was, how fast can I flee from this? He He says things time and time again, like flee from sin, flee youthful passions, flee from idolatry, flee from sexual immorality. And and, and sometimes we need to position our bodies in the direction that we want our lives to go. So do you want to be faithful to your spouse? You have to flee from environments that would tempt you not to be faithful to your spouse. Do you want to be celibate with your boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage? You need to flee from environments that are going to test those boundaries. Don't share a bed or go on holiday on your own with them. Do you want to honour God and others with your words and not stumble into gossip or grumbling? Flee from environments which you feel most tempted to do that. Do you want to stop spiralling to hours online with trying to turn off your emotions? Put limits on your phone time. Parent your phone. To partner with God in this work, The first step is to admit to ourselves and wake up to the sin that's crept into our hearts. We need to wake up up to it. I think we've just kind of crept. There's things that have just crept into our lives. And maybe just write down some of the situations or environments that you you kind of feel most tempted to fall into those sins. Ruthlessly cut those environments out of your life. I quite like the word flee. (laughs) the dictionary definition is to run away from a place or situation of danger literally run for your life this is not about moralism this is about protecting our intimacy with God and prioritizing our love for him purity isn't about performance or perfection it's the free gift of love God God defined love in terms of sacrifice because you don't hang on a cross for something that you don't love. 
To love him in return requires sacrifice. Fleeing from sin isn't it just about what you're fleeing from. It's about who you're running to. God, you know, it's it, like in the story of the prodigal son, I've kept thinking about this this week. We see that God is watching our moves and he's not doing that to shame us or condemn us. He's watching us so that he can see when we turn the corner and he runs to us. He, he, he runs out with a robe to cover us and embrace to welcome us in. We must flee from sin and run to him. And thirdly, we, we must embrace confession. In order to really overcome sin and pursue purity of heart, we must be committed to confessing honestly, frequently, before God and others. It's as we bring things into the light that we can be transformed. We have power over things. I remember a situation where I was younger where I was doing something that I knew was wrong, and to be honest, it was kind of eating me up inside. I wasn't really talking to anybody about it, and it was all hidden. And I remember that at the time reading some verses from Psalm 32, and it says this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And I felt like that. I felt like I was wasting away inside. And I made the decision after reading that psalm to confess what I was doing to someone and to God. And I still had to work through the consequences of what I'd done, but I cannot tell you the relief that that act of confession had on me and on my whole physical being as well. When I went from wrestling with my sin in the darkness and dragged it into the light, I started to get a handle on it. And when I invited community and God into that process, I experienced breakthrough. It's out of God's compassion that he requires confession. Because in the darkness, sin corrodes the walls of your interior life, or what the Bible calls the heart. But in the light, there's mercy and there's grace and there's freedom, there's forgiveness. Instead of inviting in support and accountability, we try to deal with stuff in the dark, what can only be overcome in the light. And that's, you know, you see Christian leaders, don't you, like falling and taken out by their own moral failures. What happened in that moment didn't happen overnight, but it did happen in the dark. Ephesians 5, 8 to 14. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that's illuminated becomes a light. This is why it said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. It's so easy to look around church, isn't it? And assume everyone else has got it all together. But it's such a lie. Uh, We're all in process and the only way through to true transformation is to be real with the the sins that that we have, with the issues that we have. And can I, can I say, this isn't just about 
I don't know, like the big obvious sins, like sexual immorality or drunkenness or whatever. It's waking up to some of the more insidious things as well. I, I feel like God has nudged me recently. Like, Viv, you know, there's a little bit of unforgiveness there. There's resentment there, and I need to confess it. And I've been, um, you know, chatting to God about it and chatting to some other people about it as well. Like, we need to, like, stop these things in their track before they become a bigger doorway. 1 John 1, John 1 9 says, if we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We can be completely forgiven, completely forgiven. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's no shame in admitting when you're stuck or have failed. We cannot allow pride to rob us of our healing. When Sam got stuck in the mud a few years ago, there was no amount of, amount of strength or resolve or effort that could have allowed him to set himself free. We had to do it together. We, ha- we have to create space in our own lives to cry for help and to confess and allow God and others to pull us out of the pit. Maybe it looks like sending a few questions to some friends or family that they can hold back like a mirror to you when you probably don't want it, but when you most need it. Maybe you want to get together with a prayer triplet or a group of two or three people and you give permission for people to challenge you, but also to love you. I think, you know, realistically, we don't often confess our sins once and then conquer them. Often it's a long road to victory, but we have to invite others in on that road. The reality is, is that Jesus is not at war with your heart. He is at war for your heart. He is this lion roaring over your heart. He's got ultimate victory and he's at war to help you overcome. Christianity, it's not a worldview to believe, it's a person to love. It's a person that loves you. The narrative arc of human history is is about a good God on a relentless pursuit of the people that he loves. And the cross, it's just evidence that there's nothing that he wouldn't do, nothing that he wouldn't sacrifice to win your heart. Jesus didn't die so that you could stay mixed up in a load of crap. He does it so you can be free. It's for freedom that God has set us free. So to be pure in heart is to will one thing. It's to return love to the God who loves you. Sin will tell you one of two things. Either you're fine and there's no consequences. Just crack on. Or it's like you're stuck and there's no hope. Jesus says that neither are true. The Holy Spirit convicts you, but he doesn't shame you. Jesus offers you a way out. He wants you to be free. Remember the story of the prodigal son. You know, what happened? The son just came to his senses, didn't he? He came to his senses and he was like, maybe I just need to go home and be a hired help with my father. He realised that what he was doing was not okay. And probably as he made his way home, you know, he probably would have been feeling a bit, bit ashamed, like had, had his tail between his legs type thing. And he didn't know what that reception was going to be like from his father. But can you imagine him like walking home 
and turning that corner and then just seeing his father running towards him. Imagine that scene, the, the father just running, coming, like coming towards the son, embracing him, falling on his neck and kissing him. He put a robe on his back and a ring on his finger. That was not what the son was expecting. And I think this is what it's like to see God. This is what it's like to see God. Uh, you know, are you like that prodigal son this morning where you just need to come to your senses today? And God, God is the running father. As you come towards God, he comes sprinting, running as fast as he can to embrace you and to kiss you and to give you back your identity. And as you turn that corner, you see him. This is what it means to see God. So do you need to come back to your senses today? You know, it's, it's time. Today is the day where you come running back to your father and you see him again running towards you, welcoming you home. I'm going to pray, and I wonder if the bands can come up at Battersea and here in Balham as well. Why don't we just take a moment and just still our hearts. Let God speak to us about what he wants to kind of almost put his finger on today. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your incredible offer of forgiveness for us. Thank you that this life is not a religion to pursue, but a relationship to engage in. So, Father, today, you know, if, if we, have, we want to make right that relationship, if there, if there are any parts of us that have wandered, any of our thoughts, any of our desires that are drifted from you, Father, we pray that you would use this time to correct our focus, correct our vision, so that we might actually see you. Father, would you wake us up to areas where we've compromised and allowed culture to dictate who we are and what we do? Would you bring to mind those areas or things now? And we choose now, just like that prodigal son, we we return to you. We come to our senses. We want to come back to you today. Would we know the Father's embrace today? Would we be filled again with your love and your incredible affection for us? Would we see you in a new way today? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.